Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Mauricio Raul. Thanks for being on the show again, Mauricio. Thanks for having me back, Whitney. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm always honored to have you on the show and somebody at your level of expertise and experience uh, to share with the listeners and I. It's an honor. And for the listeners, you, I'm sure you've heard of him before. You've probably seen him on social media, and I hope you have or connected in some way, but you've probably heard him on show WS195. You should go back there and, and learn more about him and, and his background. But just a little bit about him. He's the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group, an internationally recognized securities firm that spends 100% of their practice on syndication for real estate investors. He regularly travels around the country speaking to real estate investors and entrepreneurs, educating them about how the syndication legal piece fits into the overall syndication puzzle. He shared the stage with the likes of Robert Kiyosaki, Ken McElroy, Peter Schiff, Brad Sumrock, and of course, the real estate guys. Mauricio, thank you again. You know, give the listeners a little update, maybe about what your focus is now, if anything's changed or, you know, what's going on. And then, you know, let's, let's dive right into this topic that everybody is just dying to know about. Yeah, no, I'm still plugging along, doing the same things that I've been doing now full-time or exclusively for the past, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, which is just syndication. 100% of my practice is representing real estate investors who are raising capital to go do bigger and better deals. And I just make sure that they stay out of jail and uh, avoid being uh, cellmates with Bernie Madoff, as I like to joke. And uh, talking a little bit these days about opportunity zones, but again, always in that context. A lot of my clients reached out to me and are interested in that topic. And so it's part of the syndication process. But I live in the syndication world, specifically all the exemptions. And maybe if you'd like, I can kind of do the quick overview so that people kind of understand what we talked about in that episode. Was it 195? It was 195. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. And I'll do that just because I think today's topic, you'll see how it fits into that overall structure. Because we're, Today, we're going to be talking obviously about the do's and don'ts of, of helping others to raise money. And if you recall from that episode, you know, syndicators are obviously, or maybe not obviously, but they're selling securities, which is why the SEC is involved. A lot of people say, hey, why, you know, why I'm buying a piece of property. Why is the securities law involved? And the reason is anytime you're taking money from investors, where there's an expectation of a return and you're the one that's generating the profits. In other words, your investors are passive and you're active. You're dealing with the security and therefore need to comply with securities laws. And like I said in that episode, there's really only three things we think about or consider when we are selling securities. And that is number one, we must register that security with the SEC. Number two, we must find an exemption to that registration. Or number three, it's illegal. Um, we kind of joke about the illegal part, but let's go from the top. Number one, registration. We rarely, if ever, want to do a full-blown registration because it just takes a ton of time and a ton of money. Think, you know, one, two, two and a half years to get that process through the SEC. And if you're in contract to buy a building, you know, who has a year or two to wait for the SEC to approve your deal? It's just not realistic. And it's going to cost you six. And I've had clients where it's cost them seven figures. It's just not a realistic option. Exemptions is where really we, we spend most of our time. And so fortunately for us, we, we talked in that episode about the most common exemptions, and that's where you hear 506B, 506C, you know, Reg A+, all those types of exemptions are so that we don't have to register with the SEC. And then the third one is illegal. 
which is kind of you know half a joke, obviously. But obviously, if you're not complying with the securities laws and you're not registering, and you're not filing an exemption, then you are conducting an illegal offering. But the topic today, which is helping other syndicators raise money in exchange for compensation, that's going to fall under breaking one of these exemption rules and basically becoming an illegal offering. So I think it is a very important topic. And I think, I think along with the, <laughs> we are just talking about it off, off camera, along with the social media rules that everybody's breaking these days, I think paying others illegally for raising money is another, probably one of the biggest mistakes people are making out there. So I'm glad we're, we're talking about it today. Awesome. Now, I appreciate you elaborating on on what we covered in the last show, and I highly encourage people to go back and listen to that and then come back to this one. But it is so common, and I mean, I hear at every conference I go to, a lot of people I know in the industry all over social media, you know, about raising capital, partnering with other people, and and we want to know that we're doing it legally and, you know, how to do it, you know, because it's a great way for people to get started in the industry, but we want to make sure we're not, you know, getting started to find a jumpsuit, you know, so. We want to make sure we're, you know, that we're doing it legally and that, you know, we're presenting ourselves and the entire team as professional as possible. And, and, right. and so you're going to help us understand that better today, I know. And so, you know, get us started in, in knowing that we're doing it legally and people want to raise capital and people want to get started. You know, you talk to so many people, maybe some common mistakes. And yeah, so the first thing you have to recognize is that anytime you're receiving compensation for helping others to raise money, you're most likely acting as a broker dealer. And so the rule is you cannot pay anybody a commission or transaction-based compensation unless that person is an SEC licensed broker dealer. That's the rule. That's just like you can't practice medicine without a medical license. You, in theory, can't practice law, although some people are out there doing it without a license. You can't be giving advice or receiving compensation for referring people unless you're a broker dealer. So the most common ways, let me just start with like the common ways I see people doing it that I think is an absolute no-no. And then we can maybe, not maybe, then we'll talk about the proper ways to do it so you're doing it legally. The first one is people just do it. <laughs> people are out there just flat out, you know, making introductions, making recommendations, referring people to sponsors, and the sponsors are cutting them a check. Whether that's officially in writing or it's a handshake or what have you, that's being done. And like I said, the problem on the receiving end, whoever's receiving the compensation is they're practicing without a license, like we just talked about. And the problem for the syndicator is that they're obviously not disclosing that because it's an illegal payment, so people don't disclose it. So now you're doing the illegal offering because you're not giving them the full set of disclosures. Because obviously when you're paying a referral fee, that's that can have a material effect on somebody investing. Like, am I are you referring it to me because you're getting the compensation or are you referring to me because you really do think it's a good deal? So that's the number one kind of obvious mistake. I just see people doing it and don't even think about the need to think about it, that whether do you need to be licensed or what are the exemptions or what have you. So that's number one. So just referring someone. So, you know, I just met somebody, whatever, downtown or whatever, and we were talking about investing in real estate, but we'll say, you know, I wasn't a syndicator, you know, and I just said, Hey, you know, you should go meet my buddy. That's, you know, closing on this apartment complex. That's illegal. Is that Am I understanding that? That would be fine as, as long as you're not getting compensated, right? So okay. I mean, referrals for, just to kind of backtrack, like referrals are a great way to meet new people. That's kind of one of the ways you can actually not have a pre-existing relationship, a pre-existing substantive relationship and still not be a follow of the marketing rules because you didn't market or advertise to that person. It was referred to you by a current investor or maybe another, just whoever that's a referral, that's fine. It's the getting compensated part that is the problem. And I don't want to get too much into the finder's world because, because that's a, a lot of people try and get around it that way too. Maybe that should be our number two point. But finders is very difficult because finders is literally 
you know, maybe the way you said it, uh, you'd have to repeat it. I have to listen to it, how it goes again. Maybe that's okay because you, you literally were making the introduction. And so if you're, you know, the, the traditional nice way of doing a finders is like, it's like Whitney, hey, if you have a list of 10 people that you can give to me and I'm going to pay you $10,000 for that list of 10 people, and then I reach out to those people, you can kind of, it's kind of like a finders. You haven't made any representations. You haven't made any, any recommendations to that effect. But I just don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone to be able to just say, hey, here's Whitney's telephone number. He has a deal. You should call him. There's always going to be, hey, he's got a great deal, right? There's a, there's a little record. He's, like, he's got a great deal. Oh, you really, you really should talk to him. Like, there's they're selling some it. Some additional stuff in there. And certainly if they're part of the conversation. So to me, being the finder distinction is very dangerous. And also another thing to consider is the finders, there's stuff at, at the state level. But remember, this is all federal. And I appreciate you saying too about like the referring was okay because as long as you're not compensated, but it's because you're not advertising. They didn't, that person didn't come to you because of your advertisement. It's they were referred. Yes. Correct. That's one of the way. A lot of people think that the only way to get around, and I hate using the word get around because it sounds like it's nefarious, but the only way that you're not going to be considered advertising or, or soliciting is if you have some pre-existing substantive relationship. And that's not true. 80, 90, 95% of the time, that's the easiest way to do it. But there are other ways to not be considered advertising and referrals is a great one. But you can't get compensated for that because the minute you start getting compensated, now you're, you know, you're sort of acting as, a, as an unlicensed broker. The next one that's by far probably the next realistically common one is everybody likes to put these side agreements together, right? Oh, we'll call it a marketing agreement. Oh, we'll call it a consulting agreement. Oh, we'll call it an independent contractor agreement, something like that. And there's two issues with that. Uh, the first one is whatever you call that arrangement, it doesn't matter, right? The SEC is going to look straight through that document and they're going to actually look at the underlying facts and they're going to see what exactly did you do. So if you are claiming, hey, I'm paying this guy a marketing fee, then it's going to be your burden. Again, if you get caught or you're, you're in a situation where you're sitting across a regulator, it's going to be your burden to prove all of these marketing things you did. Right. And so if you're claiming you're doing A, B, C, D, E, your burden is to prove it. Same with the consulting agreement, which is difficult to do. I would tell people you're, you know, probably need phone records or, I mean, you know, if you're a consultant, you're obviously doing some consulting work, which means you're either meeting this person in person or you're on the phone. You're going to have to provide records. You're going to have to provide notes of your meetings, you know, minutes of meetings. It's going to be your burden to show that you actually did that work and that the compensation was commensurate with that work. If you suddenly are getting like a million dollars checks or whatever for doing a little consulting work, that might not make sense. So you just got to be really, really careful. But I have another thought that just, I just lost my train of thought there. But on the consulting agreement, it doesn't really matter what you call it. And the burden is going to be on you to show that. Oh, Whitney, I had another great thing to say about that, but it just escaped. It'll, it'll probably come back to me. So that's another way that you want to avoid um, doing that. I'm just trying to think. I know you said there was two issues. You said whatever you call it doesn't matter. The SEC will see right through it. It's going to be your burden to prove it. Yep. Great stuff. And then there's something else I was going to say. And maybe <laughs> it'll, it'll come back. back. <laughs> it'll come back to me. The third way that people like to do this, and I actually, it can be done, and I used to endorse this a bit, and then I'm kind of backing off a little bit, and that is the fund of funds, right? Which actually can be legal. So that's why it's kind of, this is a good hybrid one. So you, in theory, could raise money into your own fund, into your own syndication, like you raise a million dollars into your syndication, then you turn around and invest that million dollars into somebody else's deal, right? And you get compensated at your level, right? You take an, uh, an acquisition fee, management fees, you know, you split it 80-20, however you want to do it. And you can probably negotiate with the company that you're investing in, maybe a little bit of preferential treatment because you're coming in with a huge you know, million dollar investment. 
maybe you're getting a little bit better preferred return or a little bit better, you know, whatever. So that way you can take that condensation, that extra amount of money and pay yourself. The challenge is that when you do that, you've got to remember that you're no longer investing. You're no longer raising money and investing in real estate. Right, and even investing in a in an LLC that owns real estate that essentially is, is a pass through. It's, it's essentially a right, uh, investing in real estate. You are now investing in a security, right? You're investing in somebody else's. It's not stock. It's somebody else's membership LLC. But you're essentially now investing in somebody else's security, just like you're buying Apple stock or Microsoft stock or what have you. So now you're kind of giving advice on securities as opposed to real estate. And so the question that always pops up in my mind is, do you now need to be a registered investment advisor in order to do that. Not a full-blown broker-dealer, but you need to be a registered investment advisor. And the challenge I've always had is that that is a state-by-state -state issue. It's not a federal issue, issue. The only time it really becomes an issue at the federal level is if you're, you've gone over $100 million in, in assets and the management. But below that, it's a state issue. So what state are you living? You know, it depends on that. And so some states require you to register as a registered investment advisor, which isn't the end of the world, but it does require you to get, you know, take an exam and pass, you know, what I forget what it's the series seven or series 56, 67 or one of those series exams. And then there's some compliance issues that you've got to stick to. So it, unless you're doing that for a living or you're going to do a lot of it, not the greatest thing, but there are other states uh, like California, actually, which is surprising to me that has some exemptions to that. So you don't have to register as a, a registered investment advisor, but you do have some compliance, including the dreaded audited financials. So there might be a cost involved. I don't think the actual work is a big deal. You can outsource that, but there's a cost involved. So you can do the fund of funds, but again, you've got to, it's not something you can, again, it's not do it yourself, go and just go do it because all these issues that you probably hadn't even thought about come into play. And when you're doing the fund of funds, even though it's a legal way to do it, there are some strings attached to that. So those, I think, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if there's any other ways that you've seen people that you think is illegal and I'm happy to comment on them, but those are really the, the three or four ways that I see most people doing it uh, in terms of trying to raise money for others that's really illegal. Yeah, but, you know, and I'm going to hear, well, you know, they're putting me on the GP side or, you know, I'm doing a consulting agreement, but, you know, I'm also on the GP side. Why is that not okay? And Oh, that triggered my memory, uh, Whitney. So thank you. Thank you for, for triggering that. <laughs> So what I was going to say is that if you are sitting, and again, this is metaphorical because you're typically not sitting across the table from a regulator. It's usually, you know, it's done through, through correspondence. But let's say you're, you're sitting across the regulator and the regulator is saying, hey, look, I see that Whitney is a 5% or 10% GP in your deal, right? What did Whitney do to earn that 5 or 10%? Your answer cannot be, he helped me raise money. It has to be something else. And that's why when we're talking about when, you, when you're coming in as a GP, watch, I'm kind of jumping out. So when you're coming in as a GP, you actually have to be doing real work. You can't be just getting a percentage of the deal in order to get a percentage of GP. So I actually did jump ahead of myself a little bit. So what are the ways that you can legally do it, right? And there's really, in my mind, two or two and a half. We already talked a little bit about the fund of funds, which you can do, but you've just got to check with your state regulators or state, you know, state securities attorneys, which I can help you do that as well. But to make sure that you're doing that in compliance, whether you're registering as a registered investment advisor or just whatever compliance that state requires. The next way would be obviously to become a broker dealer, right? Which, you know, that's, I just want to throw that out there. That's obviously not realistic. The last time I looked at it many, many years ago for, or actually for the real estate guys, uh, Robert and Russ, you know, it was a six month process. It was really expensive, a bunch of exams, a bunch of compliance. It's actually cheaper to buy one. It's actually cheaper to go you know, I think for 500 grand or something like that, you can go buy a broker dealer firm. And that's probably the 
quickest and easiest way to do it, but there's still a ton of compliance. So it's probably not realistic, but I wanted to throw it out there. So the main way to do it, and it's a long-winded answer to get to the point where everybody wants to find out how you do it. The main way to do it, and I alluded to it a little bit before, is to bring them in as a legitimate co-sponsor. And when I say legitimate, I mean not, hey, come in, like you mentioned, come in and go help us raise money and we'll give you 5% or 10% or, or God forbid, the worst one, which is depending on how much money you raise, we'll give you a percentage of the deal. Because that's now clearly transaction-based compensation, which is the hallmark of, of being uh, an advisor or, or broker-dealer. So, But they have to be legitimate, which means, number one, they've got all the liability now, right? They're co-sponsors. If the deal goes south, they've got fiduciary responsibilities. They're going to go south with them. I mean, they're part of the deal. And again, they've got to do real work, whether it's helping with the underwriting or the talking to the lawyers and the CPAs or the investor relations or putting the business plan together or do deal, whatever, all that stuff that everybody else is doing, they have to do that as well. Because, and that's where I was going to my point, if it ever gets to that point where somebody's challenging you and saying, you know, again, Whitney, you, you, you earned 10% here. You obviously didn't put any cash into this deal. What did you do? You cannot say he helped me raise money. You've got to list all of the other items and they have to make sense again. Like if you're just doing, you know, investor relations where you're spending a couple hours a quarter and, and you're getting 25, 30% of the deal, then it's a hard sell, right? So it's got to be commensurate with the amount of work you're actually doing. It doesn't have to be equal but it has to be somewhat commensurate with the amount of work you're doing. So that's really the main way that I now these days recommend doing it. Again, the fund of funds is something you may want to look into, but anything else, I would stay far away from, definitely sorry, I would stay far away from Finder, trying to argue with Finder and the marketing agreements. I mean, there's a couple of clients that I've had that legitimately do marketing. Like that's what they're getting come and it's a flat fee. And it's like, hey, you pay me 15 grand and I'll put together the business plan. I'll put together the, the one sheet that we call. We'll take over your social media marketing because it's, you know, it's 506C. So we'll market in social media. Uh, we'll blast it out to our group of people. I mean, there's legitimate ways. They're not actually getting, it doesn't matter whether they're raising money or not. And that's one of the questions you need to ask yourself is when you pay someone, are you willing to pay someone $10,000 or $20,000 or give somebody a 10% interest in the GP? whether they raise a dollar or raise a hundred million dollars or raise zero dollars. Yeah. And I I can see where that, you know, as an experienced syndicator and you're bringing on a partner who can have the benefit as well as raising capital, but obviously they're going to be doing other things. I mean, you're going to look at their track record a lot better than too, right? And you're going to, you know, hopefully they can bring a lot of value in raising the capital, but you can't, you know, you're, you're going to have to say, well, this is what you're going to be paid. And, you know, Obviously, you better bring some cap, you know, bring more value by raising capital. But whether they do or don't, this is what they're getting paid. Here's the other risk you have, and this has happened to a couple of clients now that I'm working with that obviously weren't doing it while I was working on their particular syndication. But because you can't put it in writing, right? You can't put a contract together and say, "Hey, if you for every hundred thousand dollars you bring in, I'm going to give you one percent or whatever." It's really just a handshake agreement. So what happens when the relationship goes south, which has happened in this case, where you're not quite done with the entire phrase, but something's happened. There's a fallout of the partners. They want to get rid of the partner, but the partner's saying, no, I'm supposed to be 20% or 30% of the company. And they're like, yeah, but you were supposed to raise the money and you didn't raise any money. And so now there's a huge dispute. You know, what do you do? So you just got to be really careful. Very careful. That's why we have somebody like you and our team, right? Yeah. No. So just be careful about that. And again, this is the whole syndication on the legal side is obviously not a do-it-yourself project anyway. So whoever your legal advisor is, uh, that's again, that's one of my pet peeves. Everybody thinks a lot of times the syndication attorneys are just people who put together documents. Oh, I need somebody to put the PPM together or put this together. And that's just such a fraction of what we do. We're there as advisors. 
And at least in my case, I'm underwriting and I'm really, like we talked about the last time, I'm, I'm looking at your deal, your business plan, I'm pulling out all the information. And that's one of the things I'm pulling out is like, are you, are you paying a commission to a legitimate broker dealer? No, are you paying commissions? Remember, Whitney, you can't do this. Like, oh wait, I wanted to do this. No, you can't do that. And so that's all part of that communication that you have to have on the front end with your securities attorney so that you don't fall afoul of these rules. Because again, it's not just about putting docs together. It's, it's about finding out all the risks in your deals. So number one, you can figure out what to put in the docs. And number two, you can advise a client whether they're doing something right or wrong, including you know, including the social media stuff. I've actually now started doing social media reviews for my clients. Uh, I, do, I do website reviews too, because that's another issue with people is that they, they, they have websites out there and they're doing 506Cs that are in violation. And I do the same thing with social media. And I can't keep up with social media on a daily basis. So I kind of do a snapshot review, but it's become such a big issue that, you know, I kind of take a more proactive approach because a lot of times they won't tell me what's going on and what they're doing on social media or the website. That's a great service right there that I hadn't even thought of. Like, I mean, from, from your standpoint, just you looking at my website or you're looking at my social media and giving me some feedback, Hey, you know, you should take this down or, you know, or no, this is okay. Or, you know, I did have somebody go to my website, uh, an attorney, uh, you know, and he, and he clicked on, uh, or no, it was my, it was my signature in my email. And it said, cause it says something about invest with us, you know, something like that. And, and at that time I'd never even thought about it, you know, until he brought it to my attention. He said, I clicked on it. And it took me, and I'd love to have your opinion, but it just took him to a, a scheduling app, you know, to schedule a call with me. It doesn't show him like offerings. It doesn't show him deals. It doesn't show him anything, but like schedule a call, you know? And so he didn't think that that was a massive, you know, or any, anything problem or a problem with that. But, uh, but anyway. Yeah. So, so what, what I do is actually, I do a record, which has actually been pretty popular. I do a video recording of your website. So I look at your website and then I do like, depending on how, how terrible it is or how good it is, it may be a two, three, four, maybe five minute video. And I just go through your whole thing and I point out different things on the page and different tabs and same thing with the social media review, but it's okay for you to put information about your, your company. It's okay for you to, to invite people to call you to find out more about your information. And if you saw one of my videos, which I posted on Facebook, on social media, it's actually one of my more popular ones. There's a process that you can take once you, once you accept or once you capture people through your website, there's a process you can take them through to take them from a complete stranger uh, all the way through to having a, a pre-existing substantive relationship so that you can then offer them a future deal. There's a specific process, there's a specific guidelines that the SEC gives us. So that's just step one. So just because you captured that person's information, like you just mentioned, and you have a call with them, that's great. You can't put them in your deal unless it's a 506C. But if you're doing a 506B that prohibits advertising or generally soliciting, that's going to be considered advertising if you then put them on the deal. But if you walk them through these six steps that you must take in order to get to know them really well and, be, and establish that substantive relationship, then you can put them on the next deal, not the current deal, but the next deal and not run afoul of the marketing rules. And I'm actually, you know, just, uh, I think we talked about offline. I mean, this again, such a huge topic that I've, I'm actually finalizing my, my seven part video series. It's on the social media, the do's and don'ts, because I see so many people, you know, messing that one up. And there's so many people on social media doing things that they absolutely should not be doing that. It's such a, such a huge thing. I just decided to do a little video series on it. So if anyone's interested, I'm happy to share that with you guys. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. And hopefully we'll, we'll do another show about social media and we'll be able to tell people where to find that. Uh, I'd love to do that as well. But, you know, as far as like, you know, paying people to raise capital, I know or maybe I shouldn't even word it like that, <laughs> say it like that, <laughs> you know, but, you know, bringing them on legitimately, they have, you know, I just wanted to reiterate, it's illegal unless they have a legitimate work to do, correct? And right. then it can't, it right. can't be based on how much they raise. But I wanted to go just one step a little further into that. 
And because it's common in the industry to have, you know, to bring somebody on that can raise a lot of capital. And let's say, you know, they do, you know, that's a big value that they're bringing. But let's say we're going to pay them a certain amount. They'll have other jobs, you know, in the in the business plan. But then they also have, let's say, five to 10 people under them that, that are raising capital through them for that opportunity. So that's fine. So as long as they, again, as long as they're not getting, again, one of the, let me just backtrack. The fact that you give them shares in your company, not shares, but limited liability, but essentially shares in your company in the form of a GP, that is still compensation. So whether you give somebody cash, you give somebody shares, somebody, that's all compensation. So as long as you're not compensating for them to raise money, you're fine. But yes, if somebody comes in in an LLC, right? I mean, if you're, you bring in a corporation or a company and anybody in that company now, assuming that company is a legitimate co-sponsor, then obviously they have employees and they have you know team members and those people can certainly go out there along with everybody else who's a co-sponsor. They, they essentially become agents of the co-sponsors, part of the co-sponsorship. So I don't have a problem with that at all. But they do, the, the main company that you've brought in as a co-sponsor needs to be a legitimate co-sponsor. It needs to be, it's not really compensated, but like they're, they're doing all this work and in exchange for all this work and bringing their expertise and helping you underwrite and helping you do diligence and helping you put the business plan together, helping you invest the relations, all that stuff. They're obviously going to get compensated and the way they do that is through a percentage of the company, but it's not for raising money. Nice, nice. Mauricio, anything else on this subject specifically you'd like to let the listeners know or tell them? I think we beat it to death. <laughs> I think so. I, I think we did. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I appreciate your time. Tell the listeners, uh, you know, tell them how you like to give back. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, I've been becoming a little bit more active on Facebook. So if you track me down on Facebook, you'll see some of the videos. I just started a YouTube channel under Mauricio Raul. It's, it's really a couple of weeks old. So there's probably three or four views on there. So I would appreciate some views over there. But if you're really, if you're interested in that social media video series, it, it's probably coming out here in the next week or two, uh, although maybe by the time this is released, it's done. Uh, if you want to shoot me an email at team, T-E-A-M, at premierlawgroup.net, team at premierlawgroup.net, I'll make sure to send that to you when it's available. And as you can see, I'm super fancy and <laughs> all this great stuff, but a simple email, I'll, I'll get you on the list and send that information out to you. That's very valuable. Any other way they should know how to get in touch with you? Mauricio? That's the main one. I mean, you can always look at my website, premierlawgroup.net, but that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And look, and I'm always happy to talk to you, to your listeners. So if anybody wants to hop on a call, I'm happy to do a complimentary call with them as well. Again, that email uh, will get to me and uh, happy to talk to them in person or happy to just send them the, the collateral that I have. Well, thank you for providing so much value to the listeners today, Mauricio. I mean, because it's such a big topic. I hear it every conference. I hear it numerous times. People talk to me every week, numerous times about raising capital, getting started. And we want to make sure we're doing it legally. And I just appreciate you. Like you said, we, we hammered it and we need to. I mean, you just got to, you know, go in as depth as we can. And I uh, just appreciate that a lot. But I appreciate the listeners being with us today and every day. And I hope you will be back every day. And I hope you are going on the Facebook group, the Real Estate Syndication Show. Uh, be sure to be active in there. And so we can all learn from experts like Mauricio and, and grow our businesses together legally. And so we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.